Welcome to the Chrisman Commentary Daily Mortgage News Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Chrisman. Topics on today's episode include more chatter from Manhattan and my interview with Sarah Knockle, CEO of Candor's Burgeoning Data and Analytics Business. As the MBA's Secondary Marketing Conference wraps up in Manhattan and the 1,200 or so registered head home and face post-conference blues, Rob B. asks, that's not, I'm not, <laughs> Rob B., not Robbie, asks, what was the mood of the attendees? Denial, anger, bargaining, depression, or acceptance? I'd say the talk in the hallways revolved around arm investors and pricing, outlets for investment in second homes, lock-and-shop programs, extended locks, all-cash programs, and the various vendor offerings. Here's another. FHFA acting through Fannie and Freddie. The agencies continue to retain earnings and are doing credit risk transfers while FHFA is in constant contact with the U.S. Treasury. Both are striving to serve the underserved, and the actions must be sustainable. Progress has been made in terms of solar panels, green bond programs, affordable housing programs, green specified pools, protecting borrower information, and addressing climate-related losses due to storms and earthquakes. Both Fannie and Freddie are looking at growing the pie while managing their credit risk. Thanks to today's podcast sponsor, Candor. With Candor at the core, the market cycle will not dictate your profits. With Candor's machine as an underwriter, lenders modernize their manufacturing infrastructure, making them immune to margin, capacity, and staffing challenges forever. Candor's AI solution can be deployed in 30 days, delivering fast and flawless loan production. Speaking of which, for today's interview, I wanted to welcome onto the show Sarah Knockle, CEO of Candor's Burgeoning Data and Analytics Business, to talk about the dearth of loan data available for borrowers, servicers, and capital markets players, as well as how data can be used as a strategy to improve operational efficiency. Sarah, you're of the opinion that there's a gaping void when it comes to the loan data available for lenders, servicers, and capital markets players. Can you talk to me about that a little bit? Absolutely. So unfortunately, um, every step in the loan life cycle after underwriting is suffering from an availability of quality and detailed data. And uh, so what you have happening is anyone who is trying to sell, buy, or service the loan cannot tell key pieces of information about why the loan was made. And so um, at Candor Technology, we've essentially made it our mission to gather and generate all that data and save it and then use it to create operational efficiencies for these different activities downstream of the underwrite. And so I don't think lenders think of data as a strategy to improve operational efficiency. How should we adjust our thinking on that topic? Probably the, the easiest example I have is um, we've created something we call a smart code. It's essentially a barcode on the conditions that are generated when a loan is made. Um, by being able to analyze the conditions on loans, you can do things like figure out where your process is inefficient in the, in the production. You can figure out where you can do parallel workflows so that loans can move faster through the process. You can figure out where maybe you have a training problem and there are certain conditions that are linked to higher cost or longer um, time to closing, and you can train around it or you can redesign your process around it. But these are things that before lenders didn't have insight into in their own operations. Yeah, can you talk about some common holes in data that you've seen that maybe companies don't even realize 
they have? Oh, yes, absolutely. So um, one of the things that will happen is um, you make a loan, you sell it, and then something goes wrong with it and it comes back and the lender has to buy it back. The reason that that repurchases happen is that um, perhaps the loan wasn't performing, but someone at some point had to do another underwrite on that loan and they produced a different conclusion than the original underwrite that was done when the loan was manufactured. So why is that happening? Well, it's happening because the data that was available in the original underwrite is now gone. It was never captured. And when someone else is coming in to evaluate a loan a second time, they're having to reverse engineer what happened in the first underwrite. So they're almost trying to piece together what happened. And there's just a high probability that they're not going to get the same answer. So that's one of the reasons, um, or that's one of the ways that this lack of data has a huge impact. And how can lenders ensure data integrity across their different platform, or I guess across their tech stack would be a good way to put it? Well, that's a really great question. Um, Part of the problem is even with the focus on automation and the digitization of loans um, in recent years, there is still certain pieces of data that are not being captured. So it almost it almost doesn't matter. There, there's no way to ensure it across the tech stack if you're not generating and saving this data at the opportune moment. Um, to give you an example, if you had a number of loans and um, they all look the same on the surface, same uh, balance, same rate, same estimated payment, borrowers had similar FICOs, and you know they all had a monthly gross income of ten thousand dollars. Would you think that all those loans are the same? Well, you might, but if you could go back and see what the underwriter was doing when each of those loans were made, what you might learn is something like one of those loans was a wage earner and uh, that, that borrower had a single stream of income off of a salaried job. And that was his source for his $10,000 a month income. You might look at another borrower. They might be an entrepreneur. Maybe they had three small businesses that were generating a cumulative gross income of $10,000 a month. So those are really different borrowers, um, but that level of detail is never captured. And in the end, the, the data that is available, you know, their gross monthly income, that persists and that heads downstream, but those two loans are going to behave very differently. Let's talk about candor for a second. You mm-hmm. are running this burgeoning data and analytics business. What's the task at hand? What, what are you busy working on? Well, right now we're actually building out our analytics platform. Um, so we have, we're, we're getting around a, one and a half million underwrites that our loan engineering platform has completed at this point in time. Um, it's been doing underwrites since uh, 2020. So we have all of that data saved. And we have those granular, granular bits of metadata that I described saved on every one of those loans. So what we're doing right now is um, getting it into a platform where we can begin doing um, operational insights. So how are our different clients benchmarked? Um, Who's improving their cycle time and who isn't? What can we learn about why? What can we tell them about improving their process so that they can speed things up? That's sort of our phase one. Um, Our more advanced analytics that we will then build on top of that are going to be around the predictive sciences. So given this granular information that we have, can we come up with a more precise prediction on the loan's performance? How long is it going to survive? 
what, what's its actual likelihood of default or prepayment or even a defect occurring in it. So that's kind of our phased approach right now. We go from operational efficiency to predictive intelligence. Do you see lenders being on board with this? What are the biggest hurdles to their uh, adoption or are there points of reluctance still even after the last 10 years of digitization in the industry? I think what we have seen, um, we haven't seen reluctance with using the loan engineering system since that's that's really the key to making all of this possible. Um, by using that to make the loan, all of this additional data becomes available and that's where we can get into those analytic steps that I mentioned. Um, most of the time when we will talk to lenders and talk to them about what our loan engineering system does, um, they just want to understand how it fits into their business process. Um, they also want to understand how good is it? Um, how, how much does it really provide lift to the underwriter? How many conditions can it really clear on its own? So we usually go through an exercise of um, testing a number of loans, letting them see how it works. But we've had some amazing stories come out of our clients, things like reducing cycle time by as much as 14 days for some of our lenders, doubling the number of loans a day that underwriters can review. So it's it's been quite miraculous. Um, I think once people see it, then they believe it. Yeah, and it's easy to believe once you see the data. You mentioned earlier in our interview, there's often a training problem. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Is it is it training uh, people to get used to the system? Is it training people to believe in the system? Is it or is there still an element of human error? What are, what are the issues there? It's a little bit of everything. Um, first, I'll say, though, that um, sometimes what happens when they start using our loan engineering system is um, they discover problems in their production process that they didn't realize existed before um, that now they have visibility to and they can address. For example, um, cleaning up the loan application so that the data on it matches the supporting documentation is a huge deal. That causes a lot of back and forths and um, a lot of friction in the manufacturing process. So our machine, um, as the underwriter, automatically identifies all those issues and pretty much gives you a roadmap to fixing them. You mentioned also um, trusting the product. I think that is something um, that over time people learn that um, the product, the uh, you know our loan engineering system, will do what's expected and they don't have to double check it. They can um, close their eyes, press the button, and then get on with you know everything that they need to get done. This week, the whole secondary marketing industry de- descends upon Manhattan. What sort of conversations are you hoping to have uh, in your meetings? Well, first, I want people to understand what candor is and why we were created. I mean, our, our whole purpose is quality, creating loan quality throughout every um, part of the mortgage industry. So I want them to understand what we what we are, what the data is we're collecting, and then I'm really there to learn as well. I want to understand the, the challenges uh, secondary marketers are facing, um, as well as investors and servicers, because I think as we begin to develop our new products, um, there's just an incredible opportunity to um, take data that's never existed before and just see what we can do with it. And let's bring this kind of all together to close. What implications does this have in the capital markets? It has a lot of different ones um, for a couple of different groups. Um, first, the capital markets team um, itself 
they have to do a couple of different things. They've got to manage the rate risk on the loan until it closes. They've got to manage their cost of carry until the loan closes. They've got to um, meet their commitments uh, to trying to sell the loans and get it to the investors. So that's that's a lot of uh, complicated levels of risk that all kind of have a, an interaction. The kind of data that is being generated by Candor helps in each of those regards. It speeds up the making of the loan, which reduces the amount of time and the complexity of the hedge. It also um, shores up the costs um, and the cost to carry. And then it also gives confidence that when you sell a loan, it's not going to come back because it doesn't. it's not going to have a defect. Another aspect is from the buy side, from the perspective of the investor and the servicer. So when an investor buys a loan, what they're worried about is, um, is this loan going to have the expected yield? Is it going to survive the amount of time I thought it would? And is it going to generate the cash flows that I thought it would? Um, so they really need insights into anything that's going to undercut that yield. They need to have assurance that something isn't going to have a defect and have to leave the pool. They need to have assurances that um, something isn't going to um, refinance earlier than expected or default earlier than expected. And then when you look at servicing, servicers have similar problems. They also are dependent on um, the expected performance of the loan. They had to bid on the value of servicing that loan. And if that loan becomes much more expensive to service than they thought, then that really is going to eat away at their profits. So they too, they need to have an understanding of um, what's the true risk of default. Um, a non-performing loan can cost anywhere from two to 10 times as much to service for a servicer. Wow. That is all very pertinent info. Sarah, this was great. I want to thank you for making the time and, and coming on to talk to me today. Well, thank you so much for having me, Robbie. Um, love to talk again in the future. Mortgage interest rates are buffeted by news around the world. Chicago wheat futures jumped by their 6% limit on Monday after India banned exports of the grain, citing concerns over food security. The move has the potential to drive food prices even higher and add to the current inflationary environment, while further weighing on the tight global supply chain. Since its invasion on February 24th, Russia has sealed off Ukraine's Black Sea ports to conquer its coast, hurting the country's economy, which is known as the breadbasket of Europe. Together with Russia, it accounts for a third of global wheat exports. When it comes to wheat all over the world, things are grim. With most capital markets heads in New York City for the conference, it's been like an early preview of the dog days of summer to open the week. Economic data released yesterday showed slower than expected retail sales growth in April, while sales excluding autos beat expectations. Industrial production beat April expectations, while the NHB housing market index fell to a level not seen in nearly two years. The yield curve flattened as treasuries pulled back, and the MBS basis ended mixed. Fed Chair Powell once again reiterated consensus for 50 basis point hikes over the next couple of meetings and remarks he delivered yesterday. Today's economic calendar is underway with a surprise decline in mortgage applications which were down 11% from one week earlier, according to data from MBA, even with the start of spring home buying season in full effect. Today also includes April housing starts and building permits, a treasury auction of $17 billion of new 20-year bonds, and remarks from Philadelphia Fed President Harker. The desk will purchase up to $1.7 billion in 30-year 3.5% through 4.5% mortgage-backed securities. We began the day with agency MBS prices worse slightly, and the 10-year yielding 2.99 after closing yesterday at 2.97%. 
Let's wrap up with a joke and some housekeeping. Men socialize by insulting each other, but they don't really mean it. Women socialize by complimenting each other, but they don't really mean it either. Thanks again to Candor. With Candor's machine as an underwriter, lenders modernize their manufacturing infrastructure, making them immune to margin, capacity, and staffing challenges forever. If you have any questions about the podcast or sponsoring opportunities, send me an email at robbie at robchrisman.com. Visit robchrisman.com for more information on our industry partners, access to archived commentaries, and how to subscribe to the daily mortgage news and commentary. To listen to or download past episodes of this podcast, search Mortgage News on any platform you get your podcast from.